Essays in Idleness. 10. A house, I know, is but a temporary abode. But how delightful it is to find one that has harmonious proportions and a pleasant atmosphere. One feels somehow that even moonlight, when it shines into the quiet domicile of a person of taste, is more affecting than elsewhere. A house, though it may not be in the current fashion or elaborately decorated, will appeal to us by its unassuming beauty. A grove of trees with an indefinably ancient look, a garden where plants growing of their own accord have a special charm, a veranda and an open work wooden fence of interesting construction, and a few personal effects left carelessly lying about giving the place an air of having been lived in. A house which multitudes of workmen have polished with every care, where strange and rare Chinese and Japanese furnishings are displayed, and even the grasses and trees of the garden have been trained unnaturally, is ugly to look at and most depressing. How can anybody live for long in such a place? The most casual glance will suggest how likely such a house is to turn in a moment to smoke. A man's character, as a rule, may be known from the place where he lives. The Gotoku Daiji minister stretched a rope across his roof to keep the kites from roosting. Saigyo, seeing the rope, asked, Why should it bother him if kites perch there? That shows you the kind of man this prince is. I've heard that Saigyo never visited him again. I remembered this story not long ago, when I noticed a rope stretched over the roof of the Kosaka Palace where Prince Akanokoji lives. Someone told me that, as a matter of fact, it distressed the prince to see how crows clustering on the roof would swoop down to seize frogs in the pond. The story impressed me and made me wonder if Sanesada may not also have had some such reason. Eleven. About the tenth month, I had the occasion to visit a village beyond the place called Kurusuno. I made my way far down the moss-covered path until I reached a lonely-looking hut. Not a sound could be heard except for the dripping of a water pipe buried in fallen leaves. Sprays of chrysanthemum and red maple leaves had been carelessly arranged on the holy water shelf. Evidently someone was living there. Moved, I was thinking one can live even in such a place. When I noticed in the garden beyond a great tangerine tree, its branches bent with fruit that had been enclosed by a forbidding fence. Rather disillusioned, I thought, ah, if only the tree had not been there. Twelve. How delightful it would be to converse intimately with someone of the same mind sharing with him the pleasures of uninhibited conversation on the amusing and foolish things of this world. But such friends are hard to find. If you must take care that your opinions do not differ in the least from those of the person with whom you are talking, you might just as well be alone. You might suppose that a man who listens in general agreement to what the other person is saying, but differs on minor points, 
who may contest an opinion saying, how can I possibly agree? Or argue, it's precisely because of this that that is the case. It would be a great comfort when you're bored, but as a matter of fact, if ever anything is said which might require a word of apology, of course, even when conversing with people who are not of the same mind, differences over the usual insignificant gossip do not matter. One realizes, sadly, what a great distance separates this man from the true friends of one's heart. 13. The pleasantest of all diversions is to sit alone under the lamp, a book spread out before you, and to make friends with people of a distant past you've never known. The books I would choose are the moving volumes of one two and the collected of Lao Tzu. Among works by scholars of this country, those written long ago are often quite interesting. Fourteen. There is charm, too, in the waka. The toil of the humblest peasant or the woodcutter sounds delightful when described in a waka. Even the ferocious boar becomes gentle when the poets speak of the couch of the sleeping boar. Poems of recent times occasionally seem to contain an aptly turned line or two, but I wonder why one never senses in them, as in the old poetry, overtones going beyond the words. Tsurayuki's poem beginning, although it is not twisted together, the threads has the reputation of being among the dregs of the poetry in the Koakinshu, but I doubt that any poet today could display such mastery of style. The poems of that age are characterized by similar form and diction. I cannot understand why this particular poem should have acquired such a bad reputation. It is quoted in the tale of Genji within the second line given as Monoto wa Nashini. The poem in the Shinko Kinshu, ending, even the pines that remain unaffected are lonely on the peak, has also been called a failure. And even the form, and indeed the form, seems somewhat irregular. However, even this poem was adjudged to be quite superior when it was submitted to a poetry competition, and at later times especially it touched an emperor, as we know from Ienaga's diary. Some hold that the way of poetry alone remains unchanged since ancient times, but I wonder how true that is. The same words and subjects that might still be employed today meant something quite different when employed by the poets of ancient times. Their poems are simple and unaffected, and the lovely purity of the form creates a powerful impression. The language of the ballads in the Ryojin Hisho is also often marked by intensity of feeling. Why is it that even the most careless utterance of the men of former days should sound so splendid? It wakes you up to take a journey for a while, wherever it may be, 
As you walk around the place looking here and there at rustic scenes and mountain villages, everything seems most unfamiliar. And how amusing it is the way people snatch the first opportunity to send a letter back to the capital. When you get the chance, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that. In such a place, you really notice everything. Anything good, even the possessions you have brought along with you, seems better. And anyone you meet with artistic talent or handsome features seems more impressive than they usually would. It is delightful, also, to go into retreat at some temple or shrine unknown to anyone. 16. Kagura. Kagura is charming and full of interest. In general, I enjoy the sound of the flute and reed pipe when played as the accompaniment for Kagura, but for everyday listening, I prefer the biwa and the wagong. Seventeen. When you go into a retreat at a mountain temple and serve the Buddha, you are never at a loss how to spend your time and you feel as though the impurities in your heart are being cleansed away. Eighteen. It is excellent for a man to be simple in his tastes, to avoid extravagance, to own no possessions, to entertain no craving for worldly success. It has been true since ancient days that wise men are rarely rich. In China there was once a man called Su Yu who owned not a single possession. Someone seeing him using his hands to scoop up water for drinking presented him with what is known as a sounding gourd. For a time, Suyu hung it on the branch of a tree, but it rattled when the wind blew. How noisy, he said, and threw it away. Suyu went back to drinking water scooped up in his hands. What a clean detachment must have been in his heart. Sun Chen slept without a quilt during the winter months. All he had was a bundle of straw that he slept on at night and put away in the morning. The Chinese considered these men so notable that they recorded their biographies for later generations. People in our country would not even think it worth mentioning them. Tsure, Tsure, Gusa. Tsure, Tsure, Gusa or Essays in Idleness. The Tsurezuregusa can also be translated as Leisure Hour Notes, Leisure Time Writing. It is one of the most well-known books of the genre of Zuihitsu, a form that allowed the writer to skip from topic to topic in a stream of consciousness as they saw fit. Living in some form of seclusion, Kenko never published this book it is rumored to have been found by one of his close friends after his death, as individual entries pasted to the walls of his house, and later compiled and edited. Kenko lived at the tail end of the Kamakura period, a feudal military government. 
that lasted until 1333, when the Emperor Godaigo returned, seeking to reestablish the imperial rule of Japan and reform the country after the Confucian ideals that the shogunate had previously rejected in favor of a military bureaucracy. Godaigo was quickly overthrown and returned to exile by Ashikaga, beginning the next 250-year shogunate rule, the Muromachi period. What happens in this chunk of time that Kenko is writing? Zen Buddhism is introduced in the 1200s, spreading not only religious teachings, but art and culture. In the Muromachi times, we see a flourishing of folk entertainment, architecture, literature, the tea ceremony, the rock garden, the formalization of performance forms no and kyogen. This period also marks the final absorption of Shinto, an animistic religion indigenous to Japan which becomes fused indelibly to Buddhism in this period. Notably also, the seeds for the concept of kokutai are sown. In the book Jin no Shotoki, which appears in response to the previous reign of Shogun, anticipating the need for a system of political control, the emperor, the lineage of the emperor of Japan, can be traced back to the first Shinto deity, Amaterasu, the goddess of the sun in the universe. During the emperor's enthronement ceremony, the emperor is presented with the regalia, three treasures brought to earth by the grandson of Amaterasu. The treasures are a mirror, a sword, and a jewel, representing wisdom, valor, benevolence. These sacred objects are rumored to be scattered throughout Japan and are only seen by certain priests and the emperor himself. This concept of kokutai is developed periodically over the next six centuries and is used heavily to generate national unity in times of political dissent by reminding Japanese subjects of their uniqueness and divine superiority over all other people and nations on earth. Kokutai is used to harness the power of a creation myth, unifying the Japanese people on a metaphysical level with their government by invoking a faith that transcends logic and binds the country politically through generations of half-remembered atrocities. Kokutai is finally suppressed by General Douglas MacArthur after the surrender and dissolution of the Japanese Empire in 1945.